thankful that Claire has extended his mercy to me and allowed me to come back even after these last couple years getting to preach to you guys about weird things like money and uh, I think last time about all the ways that I'm a messed up human being. I'm broken. So I'm here uh, to talk about mercy and grace and one of my favorite subjects. Uh, Advent is kind of an interesting collection of um, themes usually. Love, joy, peace, hope. And this year, adding in mercy and grace, which is not usually something that we preach about as much. At Christmas, we want to talk about the baby Jesus, and then we want to get to the cross in Easter and talk about God's mercy um, and our hope of resurrection. But today, I want us to spend a little bit anticipating 2024 as a year filled with mercy and grace, like the passages of Scripture that we read earlier and the songs that we've already sung. We're, we're primed to think a little bit about the mercy of God on the cross for us, Jesus coming. Um, but like all of us are waiting uh, for what 2024 has in store, the people of Israel were waiting for a child to be born. They were in a perpetual state of New Year's Eve, if you will, for 400 years. And as that kind of broke in on New Year's Eve, Zechariah and Mary sing these songs in the opening chapter of Luke about their anticipation, their waiting and expectation for God to remember his people, to be merciful to Israel, to remember his promises. And they echo what is found in the books like Lamentations where the prophets say, his mercies are new every morning. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. And that's what we're hoping 2024 has in store for us. Um, Throughout the book of Psalms, this refrain, have mercy on me, echoes over and over again. Psalm 41, have mercy on me, Lord, heal me, for I have sinned against you. Psalm 57, have mercy on me, O God, have mercy on me, for in you I take refuge. I will take refuge in the shadow of your wings until the disaster has passed. Some of us are hoping 2023 is over because there's been some disasters. And they might be physical disasters. They might be a diagnosis or something. But we're hoping for a new year, a new mercy in the morning tomorrow. Psalm 86, have mercy on me, Lord, for I call to you all day long. We've been doing a little bit of that through song today. Psalm 51 is probably the most famous. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. As David cries out after his deeply dark sin against Bathsheba and then against Uriah um, in his adultery and then murder and then cover up. But as you think about 2024, maybe you're a little more lighthearted than King David Um, maybe you're thinking about some of the things that are coming up in the new year and you're like, you know, I just want to know if Dune part two is really going to come out in 2024. And yes, it is one of the most anticipated movies of 2024 alongside Argyle, which is a spy novel put into film. I didn't know that. Um, and you're all with bated breath waiting for another round of Godzilla versus Kong. I know that's, yeah. Harrisburg's really, really into the Godzilla scene. 
Come talk to Dr. Doyle Schrader at Bushnell University. He spent a year in Japan last year. He really does love like all that stuff. So he could tell you a little more about Godzilla. I, I'm not sure. I don't think I've seen the first one. Um, okay, some other facts, maybe not movies. Maybe we're not movie people. Uh, in Wikipedia, I found this about some events that are going to take place in 2024. On April 8th, a total solar eclipse will be viewable from pretty much every state except for Oregon. Um, in June, the U.S. will host the first, for the first time, the World Cup Championship for the International Cricket Association. Do you even know what cricket is? It's like baseball, but it takes all day. Um, okay, that's, sorry, that was, that was mean. Um, and of course, if you didn't already pick it up from the communion meditation, don't forget about the 2024 U.S. presidential election. That'll be my last political comment for the day. Uh, but, you know, if you were to design the perfect year, if 2024 could be your perfect year, what would it entail? Like maybe you've got your sheet of paper out and one of the things you're going to do before the ball drops tonight is just to, just to jot down some things. Like, I hope to go to Italy or I want to accomplish that thing I've never done. Like, I just traveled in from Pennsylvania after spending 10 days with my in-laws. Have mercy on me, oh Lord. Um, and I want to accomplish a bucket list item, and so I think 2024 is the year that I'm gonna fall asleep in my own sermon. That's one of my bucket list items. Don't worry, I won't fall asleep on you. I'm three hours ahead or something, so I'm more awake. But... Um, Maybe there's something else. Maybe you want to get that bonus or uh, that raise at work or promotion or maybe a new job. Maybe you're looking to make a career change or maybe you're going to get married or have a child or buy a house or maybe hopefully the interest rates will go down and you can sell your house and buy a new house or develop a new habit. Maybe, maybe that's what you are hoping in 2024 is that you can develop that new self-discipline or you can break an old habit that seems to just be destroying your life. And Jesus comes to a group of people gathered around, much like we might be here, and he goes up on the mountainside, and he sits down to teach them in Matthew chapter 5, and he says, happy are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. It seems to be that on Jesus' bucket list for the perfect year is mercy. And I just want us to think a little bit about maybe how we've gotten the focus on mercy a little too self-centered. And I want us to think a little bit about what it might look like to not just have the perfect year for us, to focus on all the self-help things that we need to improve in our lives, but instead crumple up that piece of paper and throw it in the trash and spend some time focused on what other people care about, about what other people need and the mercy that we might get to show them. So just after Jesus finishes this teaching, the Sermon on the Mount is like one long sermon. And so today, if you think my sermon is long, just sit down and read through the Sermon on the Mount and hope that Claire or Lars um, don't tell three or four stories in between each verse because he would be here all day. The Sermon on the Mount is 
three chapters long. And in it, Jesus talks about big topics like adultery, divorce, swearing oaths, and reparations for property. Um, He's an insurance adjuster. He's a marriage counselor. He's all kinds of things in here. And he gets to this section in Matthew 5, verse 43. I think I have this part on the screen. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect." This refrain about the rain coming on the righteous and the unrighteous, the sun rising on the evil and the good, is found in the Old Testament when God is telling the people of Israel that he's going to defy their expectations. I don't show up like the other gods. I don't respond when you rub the genie lamp. I don't give three wishes when you do all the right things. I'm going to send the rain on who I want to. I will have mercy on who I will have mercy God says. And Jesus reminds them of this here. And he says, it's not about doing good for other people out of this reciprocal relationship. If I scratch your back, you scratch mine. That makes sense in our world of business and commerce. If I make a a payment to you, um, or if I lend you money, you're going to make payments to me. There's going to be this back and forth relationship. And I think we come to mercy that way. We talk a lot about... um, kind of what I do for you and I'm going to say sorry and apologize for, to you and then that's going to cause you to have good feelings towards me and hopefully that's going to result in something good or mutual benefit for each of us. And so I wonder if when you're getting your perfect year in mind, I wonder if your standards for that perfect year measure up to Jesus' standard in Matthew 5. Because you see, his standard for a perfect year isn't like my standard, it's much higher. It is to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And so I wonder if uh, we might sing the songs that we sing today and pay attention to the lyrics and be like the Apostle Paul who refrains in Romans 3, God, I don't think there's any perfect person out there. There's no one who's just, not even one. Everybody has turned their own way. Everyone does what's right in their own eyes. Because we have this kind of tendency towards making it all about us. Growing up, one of my favorite things to do as a high school kid was to count how many times the pastor said, it's not about you from the stage in his sermons. He got on this kick, I think, for like two years. And one time we counted, I think, 14 times in one message. He said, it's not about you. And today, I want to dredge that up from the past and say that 2024 is not about you. It's not about you. Today, the mercy of God teaches us that it's not about you. There's an old, old prayer um, that Christians have been praying throughout 
the years that has become a very simple phrase, and it's, it's just known as the Jesus prayer now, and it echoes those prayers in the Old Testament and Psalms. It says, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I think what happens to us is we read those passages in the Old Testament in Psalms, and we read them as 21st century Americans in an individualistic society and culture that is kind of summed up by one word, narcissism. It's, it's all turned inward on ourselves. And we read those words, have mercy on me, O God, and we think that the psalmist is an individual crying out to God to have mercy on me alone. And then we pray prayers and we come up with self-help things and we come up with a Bible reading plan and we come up with new spiritual practices where we might pray a prayer like the Jesus prayer and we pray it, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on Lars, on me, a sinner. When the invitation actually in the Christian world is to ask God to have mercy on us, sinners, on the whole world. Jesus comes and dies not just for you and me alone, but for all of us and for not just human beings, but for all of creation. And the invitation in 2024, I think, to have the perfect year is to switch our focus from ourselves and from trying to get it all together to be that better version of ourselves and instead come humbly and pray the prayer of Jesus as a humble person and say, I don't have it all together. I can't do it on my own. Have mercy on me, O God. I'm a sinner. I'm just like all these other people. And maybe as you've been thinking a little bit about the passage about loving your enemies, you've said, well, I don't I don't have an enemy. I don't, I'm not like at war with somebody. And, you know, we, we watch a lot of war movies or uh, historical documentaries, and we're like, well, we don't have those kind of enemies. But I can tell you after 10 days with my um, in-laws, there's some enemies. There's some consequences for actions and behaviors. There's people who weren't at our Christmas because of actions that have consequences. And oh, I wish in those little moments where I said something and it was so quick, the past and the history was drudged up, things that were said and, and hurt, deep hurt and wounds that were felt years ago, 40 years ago, or more recently even. And I just wonder, have mercy on me, oh God, a sinner. I've done those things too. But maybe, um, maybe you're not so sure that you've done something worthy of Jesus going to the cross. Maybe you're like, yeah, I've done some wrong things and I do need some forgiveness, but I'm not 100% sure why God had to send Jesus to die on the cross just because of some of the things I did. I'm not a horrible person. I'm not as bad as fill in your historical dictator or person who was infamous. Brian Zahn, an author and, and speaker and pastor that I follow, he, he writes this a little bit about the death of Jesus on the cross. And I just, I found it really, really pointed. He said, all of us are more or less implicated by our explicit and tacit support of systems of violent power that frame our world. These are the very political and religious systems that executed Jesus. At the cross, we see where Adam and Eve's penchant for blame and Cain's capacity for killing have led us. They've led us to the murder of God. At Golgotha, human sin is seen as utterly sinful, and God did not require 
Uh, God did not require the death of Jesus, but we did. And so we take communion every Sunday, remembering Jesus' death, his burial and resurrection. And in many traditions, before communion is shared, they pray the Lord's Prayer. You probably know it. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts or trespasses as we have forgiven our debtors. This is what mercy, you see, is all about. It's not all about me. Forgive us our debts as we forgive others in In love, mercy is letting go of the wrongs committed against us. It's foregoing the consequences of our actions. And that's what Jesus has done on the cross for us. That's what Jesus has done for all of humanity. And yet, we still hold grudges and bitterness against other people. And so, the apostle uh, Peter, or the disciple Peter, comes to Jesus and asks, I think, the question that a lot of us are asking. Okay, well, in my life, how do I make this practical? And in 2024, if I was to be a person of mercy and show mercy and demonstrate mercy, what would that look like for, for me? Well, maybe I should do my homework a little bit and learn what God is like. And so in, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is, is there, and Peter comes to him, and he's done his homework. And he says to Jesus, you know, Jesus, I know what God is like. So how many times shall I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? I've done my homework, Jesus. Is it up to seven times? Seven is this number in in Jewish and Hebrew thought that's kind of a complete number. And so Peter's kind of showing off. He's flexing. I went to Bible study. I went to church. I learned something from the pastor. I think I should forgive people seven times in 2024. So, you know, Evan's going to um, miss, miss a coffee lunch with me. How many times can Evan miss a coffee with Lars and I still forgive him and try and schedule another one? Well, seven, seven sounds like a good number. We got 12 months of the year. That means you could stand me up seven months out of the year. Um, but how many times? And Jesus responds, no, I tell you not seven, but 77 times. Not just what you think is enough, but beyond what you could ever imagine. And this is what Jesus has done on the cross. He forgives us beyond our capacity to even imagine that kind of forgiveness. That mercy is new, not just once a year, not on New Year's Eve, not every few years. It is new, not just on Sundays. It is new every morning. That mercy defies our expectations. And Jesus tells this parable about a servant. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was, about, uh, was brought to him. That sounds like my student loan debt. Um, since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. Wow, I'm really glad that's not my student loan debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me. The master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. It's like he cried out, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I'm a debtor. And he let it go. He had mercy on him. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. 
His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged, have mercy on me, be patient with me, and I'll pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and they went to their master and everything that had happened. Then the master called in the servant, you wicked servant, he said, I canceled all of your debts because of you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Oh, that's, that's heavy. The kingdom of God, I believe, is most on display in how we forgive and show mercy to other people. And if I was to bear witness to anything in the culture today, it's how the unmerciful Christians are causing so many to not want anything to do with an incredibly merciful God. God's mercy is new every morning. It's on display for all to see if they can see it. And so the Porter's Gate song, um, Porter's Gate is a great uh, music group that's writing new music for the church, and they, they convert some scripture passages into some beautiful lyrics. And in this song about mercy, they say this, let your mercy flow through us. When they see us, may they see your mercy. When they know us, may they know your mercy. And I can think of some family members even now who are not experiencing mercy from their own relatives. And that is causing them to question and doubt the love of God in their life. And how many people are asking and demanding signs or archaeological evidences for whether the resurrection of Jesus is true or whether God even exists? They're asking questions, but they're, they're not really interested in the answers. What they want, what they desire, what they need in their life is mercy on display in their life. How many of us have a chance to make God more visible than any sermon ever preached on a Sunday by the way that we show mercy throughout the year. Brian Zahn continues about Jesus on the cross. He says, let's be clear, the cross is not about an appeasement of a monster God. The cross is about the revelation of a merciful God. At the cross, we discover a God who would rather die than to kill his enemies. The cross is where God in Christ absorbs the sin and then recycles it into forgiveness. The cross is not what God inflicts upon Christ in order to forgive. Instead, the cross is what God endures in Christ as he forgives. Once we understand this, we know what we are seeing when we look at the cross. We are seeing the lengths to which a God of love will go in forgiving sin. The cross, then, is both ugly and beautiful. It's, an ugly, it's as ugly as human sin and as beautiful as divine love. But in the end, love and beauty win. I want 2024 to be a year where love and beauty win in your life. And so I find it interesting that in that 
teaching on the mountain that Jesus kind of talks about loving our enemies, in the Gospel of Luke, the, the author has a little bit of a twist on it. In verse, uh, chapter 6 of Luke, verse 27, Jesus says, But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them another also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. It's the golden rule right here in the Bible. I don't know if, if you knew this, but your neighbors might not even realize Jesus is the one who coined do to others as you would have them do to you. I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. I'm constantly trying to remind the five-year-old, do to your sister what you want your sister to do to you. Teach her by showing her love and respect. But most of the time I'm doing it in this culture's like, don't you want her to share her toys with you? Don't you want that good thing? Don't you personally want these things? But don't us. Jesus, in the teaching of the golden rule, is not about you. It's not about you in this passage. It's about others. If they do these things to you, don't reciprocate. If they mistreat you, don't retaliate. If they take something from you, don't ask for it back. And then he follows it up. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? This is very similar to what Matthew has to say in the previous version. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Lend to them without expecting anything back. Then your reward will be great in heaven, and you will be called children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. And here comes that hammer again. You know, in Matthew it said, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But what does Luke twist? He says, be merciful just as your father is merciful. What if perfection, what if the perfect year ahead wasn't a year where you didn't sin and didn't do all the bad things? God's covered that. He's forgiven you and he has mercy that's new every morning for you. What if you could throw away all of the self-help and, and all of those things to improve your life? What if you could focus less on, on you and this year, 2024, was a perfect year because you were merciful towards people who wronged you. As your heavenly father is merciful to you. I think our culture would have a better understanding of who this loving God is and his mercy that's new every morning if they witnessed it in the way that we showed mercy to those around us. In... Um, in my own life, I can think of a couple people who've got some things amiss in their life. And it would be really easy for me to kind of look at the fact that his marriage is, after 14 years, gone. It would be very easy for me to look at the fact that for a period of time, he couldn't see his kids because of a court order. It would be easy for me to judge his choices about what he thinks is moral and right in the world. But when I sit and kneel at the cross and think about the mercy of Jesus for me and the things that I've been forgiven of, I wonder if the witness I have to my cousin and to the people like him is not 
a better drinking habit or better marriage advice or better parenting advice, but actually mercy. Jesus spent so much time with tax collectors and sinners, people who uh, are often described as gluttons and, and, um, and just into pleasure. And if I was describing uh, 2023 or 2024 to someone from you know, the 1800s, I would say, man, this is a, it's an era of pleasure seeking. It's that tub of Tillamook ice cream or that movie or a new house or a better car or just more stuff or travel. All of these things that are often on our bucket lists or often on our New Year's resolutions that I want these things to be part of my new year, they're a lot about me and about pleasure seeking. And I wonder if uh, in telling those stories, uh, I might be accused of spending too much time with tax collectors and sinners like Jesus. That going and, and being with my cousin might be being accused of giving permission to his lifestyle that's counter to the way of God or even just not healthy. And if I spend time there, am I going to be unhealthy? And Jesus responds to the Pharisees who said, you know, Jesus, you're spending all this time with tax collectors and sinners. And he says, learn, learn this. In Hosea, God says, I desire mercy not sacrifice. To be perfect is not to be perfect according to the standards that we set or the perfect religious codes or have it all right. I think you might be a more merciful person if you read your Bible every day. I actually think that you might be a more merciful person if you prayed the Jesus prayer every day. I think you might be a more merciful person if you didn't drink and chew and go with the girls that do. I think that it will be helpful, like Bushnell is trying to be helpful in our culture today, to have a mental health counselor, to help you with your needs. We just got a grant, actually, from the state of Oregon for almost a million dollars. Can you imagine that? The state of Oregon is funding Christian higher education to support Christian mental health counselors in Lane County because they see it as such a need. I think that'll help, but I think that's not the point. In 2024, I'd rather crumple up all of those things and throw them out and focus on mercy. Because as the, the sage St. Francis says, it is in giving that we receive, it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. It's not in the receiving of these things that we find our fulfillment. It is in giving mercy. It's interesting in the Lord's Prayer that Jesus doesn't say, uh, uh, forgive us our sins, God, so that we can go out and forgive other people. He says, forgive us our sins as we have, as we have forgiven them. And I want you to sit, hopefully a little bit haunted by the fact that the unmerciful servant parable ends with this, your heavenly father is gonna judge you in this really harsh way if you don't forgive the debts of others. And so as you're anticipating 2024, I just want to remind you, it's not about you. 
It's not about you. The coming gift of Jesus as a born, as a baby that everyone was anticipating, the coming return of Jesus that we continue to wait for, where he will make all things new and make things right again. It's not about you. It's an opportunity for you to be merciful as your heavenly father is merciful. What's that one person in your life? Maybe it's a grudge you're holding for a long time. Maybe it's a pain that you had, uh, a wrong done to you many years ago. What would it look like for you to show mercy to them in 2024? You're gonna have things happen to you where people take from you or hurt you or take credit for what's your hard work. What would it look like for you to not reciprocate, but to show mercy to them. To be merciful, just as your father is merciful. I wanna close with this poem that was sent to me um, during the Advent season. And it's it's a poem about the incarnation. And the incarnation is simply the way we theologians talk about God coming as a baby. Um, God coming in human flesh. You might be familiar with John chapter one where it says the word became flesh and in Eugene Peterson's translation in the message says he moved into the neighborhood. So imagine that Jesus has come like he did as a baby. He's come and he's broken into the scene. He's moved into your neighborhood. What would he find there? Would he find people of mercy? Um, let's, uh, Let's listen to this poem. I arrived to find myself already loved, a forgiveness preceding and exceeding my first crime and my last, a prior mercy, a predestined grace, anticipating my shame, a welcome offered, a healing before the pain. I had imagined it to be my task to close the distance between us, to cross the chasm, to scale the height, my fault dictating my duty, though futile and impossible. But I looked up, hearing the angels sing, to find you already here. Jesus has already paid the debt. He's already forgiven us much, tens of thousands more than what others have sinned against us. The invitation, then, is to simply live in that by being merciful to those who have sinned even little or large, against us. Let's pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. By what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry. And we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen.